0: You guys can grab a seat. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Hey, I will warn you. Uh, this last week, I have been a little bit sick. And so, two things may happen. One, I may lose my voice at some point. Uh, and two, I may get a little bit loopy because I pounded some medicine before I came up here. So, uh, it was either get loopy and not lose my voice or lose my voice and not be able to speak. So, Uh, We'll see how it goes. Uh, But I am excited because, as Gabe said this morning, we're starting our series in the book of Ephesians. Now, this book we are going to be in for the majority of 2019. So we're going to take a little bit of a break in the summer. But for the most part, until November, we're going to be slowly working our way through this amazing letter um, and this, this last week, my wife and I, we made a, a quick trip up to Minneapolis and we were coming back from Minnesota and I was kind of studying for this message and she asked me, she said, hey, what are you, what are you most excited for, for our church to study Ephesians? Uh, and I thought it was a good question, and, and to be honest with you guys, we've we've known that we were going to study this for this year for about four, five, six months or so, and so I've had a ton of time to be reading this, thinking about it, praying about it, uh, and so I, I want to give you what I answered her, just my, my three favorite reasons for, for why I'm excited for us to spend 2019 in Ephesians. So the, the first reason is um, that for us as a church, this is a new type of book for us to study, all right, so, if you've been with us since the, the fall of 2016 when we launched, uh, we've studied the, the Gospel of Mark, which was the story of the life of Jesus. We studied Joel, which is an Old Testament prophecy. We, we've studied the Psalms, which is Old Testament poetry. We've looked at a few topical series. We've kind of bounced around some different ideas in the Bible. But this is the first time that we're jumping into a New Testament letter written to a church. And so uh, it's new for us as a church to just dive into one letter written to the church. And uh, I think for a church it's, it's healthy uh, to have a variety as we preach through the Bible, that we look at both the Old Testament as well as the New, that we look at the, the narratives as well as these letters, that we look at prophecies as well as history. And so I think it's just fun for us as a church to get to kind of bounce around and see the different parts of scripture. So I'm excited for us because it's a little bit new. Um, The second reason I'm excited, specifically regarding Ephesians, is that uh, Ephesians has what some people have called a heavenly focused view of God and salvation. John Stott, who's an old preacher Once said about Ephesians that it doesn't so much focus on all the little, like, day to day problems and issues of life, but it unashamedly just focuses on the heavens. He said it just focuses on the beauty of God and what He has done and these amazing truths. And he said that when you focus on those things, it begins to shape how you view your day to day life. I love this quote from Stott. He said, Ephesians. Dares to let shine nothing else but God's love and election, Christ's death and resurrection, and the Spirit's might and work among men. What he's saying is that over the next year, what we're going to be doing is just every Sunday, just lifting our eyes to the heavens. We're going to be focusing on the beauty of who God is, and I think that's going to be fun for our church. But uh, a third, the, the last reason, I'm excited. What I'm hoping for is actually probably my now biggest prayer for us as a church in 2019. I didn't go into this year thinking this was going to be my prayer, so we preach Ephesians. But just as we studied and read and prayed through it, uh, as you can tell by the subtitle, um, one of the main thrusts and theme of Ephesians is this idea of unity, this idea of of a union. And what we're going to find out is that Ephesians talks about our Union with Christ. So you individually are united with Christ. But it also talks about how we are united together. How the church is this body that we're united together. And then how in some mysterious way, we corporately are united to Christ. Right? So it's like we are individually united with Christ. We're united together. And together we're all united with Christ. The whole book is just this beautiful unity of the church and Christ. And so here's my prayer for us, honestly, I want to commit to this for 2019, is to pray that as a church we would grow in our unity with Christ and our unity together. Uh, And to be honest, I I don't really think that we are, are doing that bad at this, right? This isn't like a, hey, we stink at unity and so we need to preach the Ephesians. But I mean, I think for many of us, you guys are in city groups, You guys have each other over for dinner. You guys love one another. You pray for one another. There is a a unity here, but like anything else, I think we can take steps forward. And I think that's one of the things that God wants to do through the book of Ephesians in our church this year is to just help us grow in unity. So that's why I'm excited for Ephesians. That's why we're going to spend probably at the end of this like 30 to 35 sermons walking through Ephesians, which is why this week, we're hitting about 10 words, so uh, that's what we're going to be doing. That's why I'm excited, so let me pray, and then uh, we're going to jump in to our study of Ephesians. Father, <clears throat> I thank you for this book, because I've read it and studied it over the last few months. It is just a beautiful, beautiful book. As John Stott said, we just get to now focus on the eternal beauty of who you are and what you've done. And God, I do pray that that would change and shift how we view ourselves and how we operate as a church. Would you help us? God, now I pray uh, specifically, would you give me a clear mind and and a a voice over the next few minutes? God, would you give us sharp minds and soft hearts as we come to your word? Uh, And would we leave here today uh, worshiping you and seeing ourselves as children of God? Would you help us in this? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. How do you uh, define yourself? I want you to think for a moment. If I were to ask you who you are or how you would define yourself, uh, how do you do that? Well, what are some of the, the characteristics or, or the attributes, maybe the titles or positions that you use? To define yourself. Maybe you would use words like, uh, I'm a husband or a mom. I'm an engineer or I'm an ENTJ or I'm an 8 wing seven or I'm an introvert or I'm a Democrat or I'm a Christian or I'm a Husker fan. I'm a good friend. I'm a hard worker. Have you used words like that? Like, when you think about this, how do you define yourself? What are some of the titles or some of the attributes that you think of yourself in? You know, this morning, as Anne read for us, we're looking at just the first phrase of the book of Ephesians. And, And all it really tells us is who the author is. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, By the will of God. It's short, it's sweet, it's 11 words. But here's why I think this is so important. In this first phrase, we see how Paul defines himself. Right? In every letter that Paul wrote, which he wrote a lot of the New Testament letters, uh, he wrote something similar to that phrase. He gave himself some sort of definition, some sort of attribute. He gave himself a little bit of an identity to his audience. If you were to think about Paul today having like Instagram or Twitter, that that phrase might be in his bio, right? It might be Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Like that's, that's who he is. That's how he defines himself. Now when we read that, I don't want us to be mistaken. I don't want us to think that Paul uh, is kind of a, a schmuck and so he just doesn't have anything else to define himself by and so he's just this Christian, right? He doesn't really have another job or career or attributes or whatever. Uh, Because Paul, if we look at his life, uh, was actually, I mean, he could have defined himself in a a myriad of ways. Like us, he could have said, I'm Paul. I'm a son. I'm a Roman citizen, which was important in that day. I'm from Tarsus, his homeland. He could have said, "I, I studied under Gamaliel, which was prestigious at his Point in time, he could have said I was a tent maker, which was a profession of his. He could have said I was a famous Jewish leader, or he could have said I was a I was a missionary, I, I was a movement leader, I'm a church planter, I'm a leader of leaders, I'm a miracle worker. I mean, Paul could have said a, a variety of things to say this is who I am. He had accomplishments and accolades and characteristics, just endless. But Paul defines himself simply by saying, I'm an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. And I think it's important, and I think honestly today, for us this morning, we're going to look at that because I think it would be good for us to take note of how he identifies himself, how he defines himself, and maybe to let our hearts and minds shift a little bit in how we define ourselves. So here's what we're going to do this morning. It's going to be pretty simple. To start our study of Ephesians, I want to simply look at the author, see how he defines himself, and just ask, do we define ourselves in similar ways? Because Paul's not the ultimate hero, but I think he's a good example of a man who is living under the will of God for the glory of God. And I just want to look at him and say, hey, do we also see ourselves similarly? Do we identify ourselves more with The things of the world, the accomplishments that we can make, or our own reputation, or do we really define ourselves the way that maybe God defines us? Maybe the eternal way that our souls are defined. And I think Paul is going to be a good example for us. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to take that one 11-word phrase, and I'm simply going to break it into two parts. Uh, We're going to look at the man, Paul, and then we're going to look at how he defined himself, all right? And so the two kind of headings that we're going to use, if you're a note taker, you can write these down. We're going to see that Paul was redeemed, all right? And then Paul was repurposed, okay? And that's going to be it. We're going to look at those two headings. We're going to see Paul as redeemed, and then we're going to see him say that he is repurposed. So first, let's look at simply just the author himself, Paul. Now again, some of you in the room, you might uh, recognize the name if you've been in church for a while, but if you don't, uh, Paul was a leader in the church after Jesus came to earth, died on the cross, rose again from the dead, ascended into heaven, and then he appointed these apostles to help lead the church. Now Paul was uh, later on, but he was one of those apostles. He was also the author of what was probably about maybe 13 of the New Testament books. So if you've read books like Romans or 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, these are books written by Paul. Now, before we get into exactly who Paul was, uh, I just want to note, because if some of you maybe, if you've studied through Ephesians, uh, and if you've ever read a commentary or if you've heard people speak on this, uh, you maybe have heard that a lot of people today actually don't believe that Paul wrote the book of Ephesians. All right, so I don't know if many of you have heard this, but a lot of scholars today uh, would say that it was was not Paul that wrote Ephesians, but it was uh, a contemporary of Paul, somebody that studied with him, and they wrote it and just put his name on it. Uh, Or other people think that it was written maybe a couple hundred years later, but to give it authority, they wrote the name Paul. Now, Here's why I bring this up. I'm not going to spend much time on it, uh, but as a church, I think it's important for us to know that we don't just have blind faith. So when we hear critique of the Bible, I don't want that to, to make us think, oh man, did Paul really not write this book? And if he didn't write it, should we not believe it? And if we can't believe Ephesians, how can we believe any other book? And I think that sometimes, I don't know if you've ever experienced that, but you can kind of spiral in this. How do I trust anything? And so I'm not going to give this huge explanation, but I just want you to know um, that that's only in the last couple hundred years people have said that. For about 1,700 years, everybody believed this was Paul's writing. Even just 20 to 30 years afterwards, we have writers saying Paul wrote Ephesians, and there's a lot of other good reasons why it's pretty logical To believe that Paul wrote Ephesians. And so um, I'm going to go under the assumption that he wrote this uh, because I think there's good scholarly work that says he did. Uh, And so if you care about that sort of thing, uh, I'd love to talk to you about that afterwards. I may even try to put out something with just a couple links if you want to study that. If you don't care about that, take my word for it and we're moving on. All right, so uh, we're going to take that Paul wrote this because for most of church history, most scholars, pastors, and Christians really believed that he did. So who was this man Paul? I think in order for us to see this phrase to reframe how we think about ourselves, uh, it would be good for us to kind of get into the life of Paul a little bit. So uh, maybe some of you have heard his story. Uh, Paul was was a man who didn't grow up as a a Christian, uh, but he actually grew up as a Jew. And he was a prominent Jew. He was a Jewish leader, and he studied uh, and grew up in the ranks of Judaism. And in fact, that went so far that when Christianity began to kind of explode in his region, uh, he began to persecute Christians. In fact, the first place that we hear of Paul, uh, he actually was going by the name of Saul at that point, and uh, we read this in Acts 8.3. Just listen to this. This is the first time we hear of Saul. It said, but Saul was ravaging the church. He was entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Have you guys heard about the, uh, some of the persecution going on in China right now for, for Chinese Christians? I mean, it's, it's heartbreaking stuff if you've read some of the stuff. But I read an article this week Uh, that said that there's actually, um, that some of the police officers have a quota of how many Christians they're supposed to arrest, like each month or something. Now, it was an article, I don't know how true that is, but the the numbers and the stats are, are pretty undeniable, that there's just kind of this rampage right now against Christians in China, and people are going from house to house arresting Christians. That's what Acts says Paul was doing. He started, we find this man in the first century going from house to house. We yet later find out that he was going from town to town, region to region. He was spending his life not for Jesus, but actually hating Jesus and his church. That's how we're introduced to this man, Paul. He, he, don't think of him immediately as this Christian hero. His story started, honestly, as a religious terrorist Essentially committing genocide against Christians in his day. I mean, that's this man, Paul. So if we can, we need to start by removing that kind of heroic, amazing view of Paul and start by seeing him as essentially a terrorist. Now... His story doesn't end there, because in Acts 9, after he's persecuting the church, it says he's on his way to go persecute more Christians, and he has this amazing story happen to him. He, he literally gets knocked off his horse. He, he meets the risen Jesus Christ. He's blinded. Some other man comes and preaches the gospel to him and explains what he sees, and this religious terrorist is converted. He's now a follower of Jesus. Now, in a very abbreviated way, that's that's essentially Paul's story. He, He was a very wicked, sinful man who met Jesus, had the gospel preached to him, and was converted. Now, we can look at Paul's story, maybe you've heard that before, and you can think, okay, that is like, extreme, right? And to some extent that is. There's not many of us in the room that have a similar story to like killing Christians and hating Jesus that passionately to then being saved. But I do want to say that at at the core, that is the plot line and the story of all of us, right? I mean, I will admit that his might be extreme, but if we think about our story, it's really No different, because all of our stories go something along the lines of our identity being given to us as we were created by God, as his image bears. He created you. He formed you. Yet each and every one of us have not followed him, but have walked away. We've chosen not to follow him. We've chosen to sin. We chose to rebel. And in that, the Bible says our identity is fractured. It's broken. It's why I think almost every person on earth at some level is trying to seek out how to better themselves, how to fix themselves, how to find themselves, because I think there's something deep inside of us that's saying something is fractured. There needs to be something improved. There needs to be some way for me to become new or whole. It's why self-help and self-discovery books are so popular, because there's something in us that says there's something broken. The Bible says, just like Paul, just like me, and just like you, that's because of sin. That's because we are fractured. Now, your life may not be filled with as many grievous sins as Paul, but it's filled with sin, it's filled with trusting ourselves more than trusting God, it's filled with God saying one thing and us doing another, that's essentially our story. And if we're left in that place, if Saul was left in that place, if you and I are left in that place. We are left with a broken identity and a fractured relationship with God. But here's what I want us to see from Paul's life. If this man, Paul, if he can be redeemed, right? Like if God can reach that man, if, if, if his grace can forgive that man, if the blood of Jesus can cover that man, then we've got to know that he can reach, forgive, and save you too. Like If you're in the room and you feel like maybe you don't belong, maybe your story's too broken, maybe your identity's too shattered, maybe the shame is too great, I first want you to see from Paul that if he can save him, he can save you. Right, we've said this a thousand times from the stage. That I think a lot of times we operate under the assumption that my sin and my past has removed me too far from the cross of Jesus Christ. But we have to believe that we can't out-sin the grace of God. If a terrorist genocide leader can be saved by the grace of God and be entered into the family, so can you. And Paul's story may be extreme. He, he may be a great example of a man who has sinned greatly, experienced grace just generously and been transformed radically, but at the core, so have I, right? I mean, so if you who in the room, if you're a Christian, has not sinned greatly? Who has not experienced grace generously? And who is not being transformed radically? That is our story if you are a Christian. Jesus died on the cross to forgive anyone of their sins if they would trust in him. Jesus rose again so that your identity doesn't stay broken but is made new and you have power to change. We have to see ourselves first and foremost as redeemed. And so here's my, my first question for us. As we look at the story of Paul, when I asked how do you define yourself, is a primary identity and marker of your life as one who is redeemed. Could you proudly say, man, I'm Andrew, and I'm redeemed. I'm made new. I'm forgiven. I've been saved. I've been given honor when I deserve shame. I've been given power when I cower in fear. More than anything else, is the primary part of your story, yeah, I'm redeemed. So I think that we maybe err sometimes when If I asked you to define yourself, I think some of us can get in the rut of thinking um, that I'm defined by my past. I'm defined by my brokenness. I'm defined by the shame that lingers over me. I'm defined by what's been done to me. I'm defined by the struggle that never seems to find victory over. And if that's you, you need to hear me that if your faith is in Jesus... That's maybe your story, but that's not who you are anymore. Your identity is one who is redeemed. And for others of us, maybe you've erred on the side of wanting to not define yourself by that, but just completely forget that altogether. Maybe we err on the side of saying, man, if I'm a Christian, that means I'm no longer messed up. No struggle, no sin, no hardship defines me. And so what some of us do is we don't like to say we're redeemed because that means we have to admit that we were broken in need of redemption. So some of us try to have a clean uh, facade. We try to clean up everything and everything always looks good. And we kind of don't want to say that I'm redeemed because we don't want to actually admit that I am broken or that I have a past. But for us... We need to know that we can wear that flag proudly. We can say, look, I'm redeemed. I'm made new. I'm not who I was, but that was who I was. That is how far I went. That is the struggles that I've had. That is my story, but guess what? God has redeemed me. You know, a couple years ago, um, I was at my old church, and I was preaching on a Sunday morning, and a girl that I went to high school with just randomly was in the service that morning, And uh, just, if you don't know, when I was in, I wasn't a Christian until I was in college. And so for anybody that knew me in high school, uh, they knew me primarily as somebody who was uh, doing drugs and who was just disengaged and not that great of a person. And so uh, she came up to me afterwards and she had like these wide eyes and she looked at me and she just, she told me that she couldn't believe that I was on a stage at a church. And she, I remember her literally saying, "Uh, what happened to you? Now... If you've ever gotten that, that there's kind of this simultaneous, like, okay, like, was I really that bad? Like, that's a little bit offensive. But after I get over myself a little bit, overall, you start to think, I think, man, praise God. Right, praise God, because I didn't do that. I didn't change myself. And yeah, my story has a lot of struggle and brokenness in it. My story, for a lot of people who knew me well for many years, probably wouldn't believe that I would be preaching God's word. Because that's not the life that I was living, but I can proudly say today, I'm redeemed. God has changed me. Jesus has saved me, and he's changing my story. And I'm not who I was then, and hopefully in 10 years, I won't be the same man that I am today because Jesus is working in us. And if you are in Jesus, that's your story too. So we need to first see ourselves and define ourselves as redeemed. If you wanna define yourself by your sins and struggles, If you're in Jesus, you've got to know that's not you anymore. And if you want to define yourself by your accomplishments and how good you are, you've got to know that that's not you. That's you being redeemed by Jesus. And so we all gather together in this unity at the foot of the cross saying we're redeemed. All right. So that's the first thing we need to see. Let's move on to the latter part of our initial phrase. As we see a man who's not only redeemed, but then he says, I'm repurposed. Notice again how he defines himself. If you're looking at this, or maybe you've memorized it already because it's very short. Uh, He simply says, I'm Paul. I'm an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Paul was redeemed by Jesus and then repurposed by Jesus. Now, the idea of uh, repurposing is probably fairly popular today. Maybe a lot of you, I don't know if you watch HGTV, people love this. In fact, a couple years ago, my wife and I, we, we bought a house and we were fairly poor. And so we bought a really cheap house and we decided uh, we're going to spend the next couple of years and just fix it up and uh, make, kind of flip it and we'll make some money. And so uh, we went in, but again, we were fairly poor and we were doing it cheap. And so we decided that it was going to be important for us to repurpose basically anything we could. So we tore down a wall and we kept all the studs. Like we kept all the wood because if we needed to build a new wall, we could repurpose that wood. Or we tore a railing out of the uh, inside of our house and we kind of cleaned it up and we put it on the outside of our house because we didn't want to buy a new one. And Or my wife, she will literally be driving down the road and she will find someone's literal trash sitting on the curb and think that belongs in our living room which I don't understand, but somehow she repurposes it. She cleans it up, she puts it in our room, she says, it looks good, and it does, I will admit. So that's the idea of repurposing, right? You take something that is either old or being destroyed or something that's no good anymore, and you are cleaning it up, giving it new life, and you are helping it become new. Paul, defining himself in the mission of God as an apostle of Christ Jesus, is saying, I'm Paul and I'm repurposed. I'm not only redeemed, but I am repurposed because God does not redeem people and then let them continue living the life they lived before because a life lived outside of the will of God, outside of the grace of God, that is your old life. right? A life lived serving the world and living in sin, that's not who you are anymore. That is the old life. In fact, in another letter uh, Paul wrote called 2 Corinthians, He elaborates on this idea, and he says, when you become a Christian, you're a new creation. Like, you have a whole new identity in Jesus. He said the old life is gone. He goes so far to say that life was crucified with Christ on the cross. I mean, that doesn't fully make sense to me, how my life, when I was, you know, zero to 20, was crucified with Jesus. But he says that's what happened, and you are new. And you're not only redeemed, but you are repurposed. You're being used for something New. He takes you and repurposes you into new life for his glory and for the kingdom of God. So I want us to consider for a moment, in your life, if you're redeemed by Jesus, how is God then repurposing you? What is God doing in your life to repurpose you for his mission and for his glory? You know, God uses broken stories and broken people to exalt a perfect and beautiful Savior. He doesn't just leave your mess behind, but he oftentimes uses our stories and uses who we are to then further exalt our Savior. If you look at Paul, uh, his story didn't just end and he completely started new. I mean, he was a leader before. He was an evangelist of sorts, even though it wasn't the gospel of Jesus, but he was passionate He was a visionary. He was a scholar. The problem was all those things he was doing was for his own glory and was for things of the world. But God didn't just say, okay, now you're not any more of those things. But he redeemed that story and repurposed those things in him for his glory. So when he became a Christian, he was still those things, but now he wasn't doing them for himself or the world, but he was doing them for God and his glory. In fact, when Paul says he's an apostle of Christ Jesus, the the grammar there—if you're like grammar uh, for the two of you—the grammar there actually it shows this uh, possession or ownership. So what he's saying is, I'm an apostle, and I'm possessed by Jesus. I'm owned by Jesus. What he's saying is, I am not my own anymore. I'm now an apostle, repurposed and owned by and led by Jesus. That's who. I am. He is not driven by himself, he's driven by another. So his new purpose was given to him by Jesus, he's owned by Jesus, and it's for Jesus. And the same is true of us. If you are in Jesus, you are not your own anymore. If you're redeemed, you're repurposed, and he calls the shots. You're not king, you're not lord, you're not master in your own life. And I know that oftentimes we like to think of questions like, uh, you know, what do I want to do with my life? And where do I want to go with my life? And what are the things I want to achieve with my life? And to some extent, I know that's not super malicious, but it would probably be better for us to be asking questions of, what does my master want of me? Where is he calling me to go? Where is he leading me in my life? Because you are not your own anymore. You are So, I think it would be healthy for us to begin defining ourselves as redeemed by Christ and repurposed for Christ. Now, let me give two quick kind of exhortations, maybe by way of application, uh, to kind of move from here. Because if those two things are our identity, if that's how we define ourselves, redeemed and repurposed, then what do we do from here? Where do we go? So uh, the first, I'll say this, none of this will really matter. None of that whole being repurposed really makes sense unless your identity really is in Jesus. right? I mean, you're not repurposed unless you are redeemed. And so I think for many of us, we need to reflect for a moment this morning and simply ask, am I truly redeemed and am I new in Jesus is that true of me have I put my faith in Jesus and do I actually operate under that way right so not just did I once put my faith in Jesus but am I continually living as if I am not my own but I am his that I am hidden in Christ, that he is the one who leads and guides me. Is that true of us? Do we still believe that? I think for many of us in the room, honestly, myself included, I think this morning our first step of action might be to repent of thinking that our life is our own, of simply thinking that I call the shots, that I do what I want, that I'm in control. You know, yesterday I was, finishing this up and I was kind of going through this and and to be honest just to be transparent I had to take a couple moments and just step back because as I was writing this I felt like man that's true of me I live my life so often under the sense that I think I'm in control that it is about what I want and what I want to achieve and what I want to do and so I had to take a few moments and just confess to the Lord and just say God, I don't believe oftentimes that I'm yours And I think what that revealed in me is uh, control issues. I think it revealed in me uh, pride to think that I can call the shots better than the eternal God. I think it revealed in me some ungrateful tendencies in my heart to think, yeah, Jesus, I know you saved me, but I'm not grateful enough to submit my entire life under you. I mean, it's just pretty, frankly, sinful and wicked stuff to say, yeah, Jesus, you may have done everything for me, and I will add you to my old life, but I'm not willing to submit under you, And so I think maybe for some of you in the room, that's where you need to be today. Where before you come and take communion in a moment, you need to sit and just repent and confess and ask the Lord to help you view your life as not your own, but as his. But secondly, as we kind of move from here, if that's kind of our heart posture, we want to see ourselves as Christ's. The second thing I would ask is that we would just consider how God is Repurposing us. Maybe you ask yourself this question. Maybe write it down or ask your spouse later. Talk through this and ask yourself how can I use my story to glorify Jesus? And when I say story, I think everything that encompasses that, your whole being. Well, how can I use my gifts? My past, my struggles, my skills, the people I know, the things that I've done, my personality type, my, the way I think. How can I use my entire story to not live for the world or myself, but to serve King Jesus? You know, if you're a creative, maybe you're a musician or an artist or a photographer or a designer. What if you started thinking through, how can I use that, what God has gifted me in, to glorify him, to serve the church, and to love my city? How can I create beautiful things for the glory of God? If if you've got a business mind, how could you maybe think, how can I create good, healthy, ethical, thriving businesses and structures for people? How can I do that to the glory of God and for the good of Others, how can I help the church strategize and cast vision because my mind works that way because God has given me that? If you're well-connected or you're a salesman, would you think through, how can I help the church grow in its relational ability and connecting to one another and evangelism? If you've got a broken story and some really hurtful things in the past, how can I have God redeem that? and repurpose it to help and love others that may be going through the same thing? What if we were a church that consistently thought through, who am I, what's my whole story, and how is God repurposing that for his glory, for the good of the church, and for the evangelization of the world? I think that we could see ourselves as redeemed and repurposed in Christ. So let me pray. Father, Thank you for your word. Thank you for these eleven words specifically that, in that, you show us a good example of a man who's been redeemed and repurposed. And God, would you help us as a church, not um, not just hear this and kind of move on, but I pray right now for all those who do need to repent, who, who like myself, need to just come to your feet apologize for how we have tried to take control. And God, we just pray now that you would help us see ourselves as not our own, but yours. Would we live with complete open hands, just free to do whatever it is you call us to do because you have saved us, you've redeemed us, you've purchased us, and we are now living a life with you and in you. God, I pray for everyone in the room who maybe that's uh, extremely hard for, to see themselves as valuable To see themselves as lovable, to see themselves as redeemable, maybe to see themselves as usable. God, would you help them right now just get a picture, a taste of how you see them, which is created in your image, redeemed by your Son, and now created for good works, as we're going to see throughout this whole book, that every one of us, if we are redeemed by you, are created and recreated for good works. Would you help us as a church to do that? God, humble those who need to be humbled. Lift up those who need to be lifted up. And we we do all this as a church together in unity for your glory. Pray this in Jesus' name.